Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Hey, everyone. From KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. Today on The Breakdown, it's time for Los Angeles politics. We're going to dive deep into several key races down there, including the mayoral election. That's right. We'll have two stellar analysts here to break it all down. Frank Stoltz, our friend from KPCC, and Jessica Levinson, professor of law at Loyola Marymount University. Um, But first, we're going to talk about some stuff, uh, statewide stuff, Scott. Um, First, of course, acknowledging the horrific school shooting in Texas this week that left 19 children and two teachers dead. Um, We saw Governor Gavin Newsom and legislative leaders and more than a dozen lawmakers gather in Sacramento yesterday to talk about what's already been on their agenda around gun control. And we know that California already has some of the strictest laws in the nation, although they're constantly getting beat back by judges. Um, And so we heard the governor really, I think, you know, show the kind of emotion we've seen from a lot of lawmakers and politicians. Absolutely. And, you know, this is an issue he's been out in front on for many years. He's not a Johnny come or a Gavin come lately to this. Um, I, I do feel, I mean, he did express, I think, the frustration that so many people feel that nothing has really changed after so many mass shootings. Um, and he said, basically, that there's no, I have nothing to add, I think. But what was a little surprising... <laughs> then he talked for another 10 minutes. Well, he talked for another 10 minutes. And I guess what maybe surprised us as reporters was, you know, the, the governor's office sent out a, a release saying there was going to be some emergency actions. And yet there really wasn't that. They want to add urgency clauses to some of the bills that are already pending in the legislature so that they'll take effect immediately. Uh, but, you know, I do think that uh, there... People who are frustrated and anxious and fearful, they need to hear from elected yeah. officials. And I think that that's really what the message was, is that we're, you're not alone. Uh, we are yeah. going to do what we can do, knowing that there are limitations to what we can do legislatively. And also, you know, we're at the whim of some of these courts and right. judges. Right. And he really went after two of the judges By that have name. issued a, a pretty remarkable rulings in the past year. One of them comparing the AR-15 to a Swiss Army knife. Another one uh, invalidating, at least for now the limitations on semi-automatic assault rifles uh, to young people between the ages of 18 and like 20. Like one used in Texas. Um, you know, talking about the Civil War and how 17-year-olds fought in it, and Newsom really went after uh, that. But he also went after Governor 
Greg Abbott. Greg Abbott of Texas uh, talking about Abbott's kind of comments. Well, you know, the gun control laws in Chicago and in California haven't helped. I mean, statistically, Newsom is right. We have a far lower gun death rate than really most of the southern states. And it is true that we have had more in numbers of mass shootings here, but we are the most populous state. Yeah, exactly. But, it, you know, it has been extraordinary to watch some of these politicians, Ted Cruz notably, uh, who was com- saying that the door should have been locked at the school, uh, you know, blaming the whole uh, massacre on a door being open, which is crazy. Um, and, and so I think they've been sort of tied in knots down there in Texas trying to explain away some of this and shift the blame to Democrats. I mean, I know that they, you know, they've done that before. It's nothing new. Uh, and the NRA is holding uh, its annual meeting in Houston tomorrow uh, with uh, Cruz and Trump. And it is, you know, it's just, yeah, yeah. you just wish things were different than they are, that we could uh, get together as a country and do what 90% of the country wants, which is, you know, have some background checks, make it a little harder to get your hands on these, these weapons. All right. Well, we are going to move on to another tough policy issue, which is we have KQED's very own Aaron Baldessari here to talk to us about. Um, We want to ask you about Governor Newsom's ambitious and controversial plan to help tackle the state's mental health crisis. He has dubbed this care courts, Aaron. Um, And this passed a key legislative hurdle this week. Tell us first, what is this proposal in your words? Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so I mean, basically, care court would create a civil process uh, where a judge would oversee someone's mental health treatment. Participants would have a public defender and an advocate to help them make decisions. Treatment plans could last for up to two years. And accountability is sort of built into this in a couple ways. So courts can order counties to provide that treatment and they face fines if they don't provide that treatment. But There's also another uh, component that refusal to participate could be used as an argument for conservatorship at a later date. And just important to bear in mind that this is for folks who um, have a diagnosis of schizophrenia or another psychotic disorder. Um, So really kind of targeting people with severe mental illness. And how many folks are we talking about? Seven to 12,000 people. But, you know, there's some argument over that number. Um, Certainly folks from the county behavioral health side are saying that that estimate is is way too low. Oh, wow. Um, But, you know, um, in the thousands to target. Yeah, it's, the intention is to target a small group of people. Well, and of course, that, as you've been reporting, Aaron, is part of the issue and concern that even people who support this bill have, which is that. The system is already overtaxed. There isn't enough housing. There aren't enough counselors and folks to help with the people who need treatment. So does this legislation address that in any way? Um, You know, that is one of the really big concerns. Um, You know, California is facing a shortage of psychiatric beds, uh, some 8,000 psychiatric beds when we're looking at acute care, subacute, a community residential treatment. So basically all levels of the spectrum. Um, and there's obviously a housing shortage across California, but that's particularly acute for people who are low income, uh, looking for affordable housing. Um, and there, we have a massive a behavioral health care worker shortage. There are not enough currently psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, therapists to meet the existing need. Um, and, you know, what a lot of folks on the sort of behavioral health side are saying is that, you know, you're adding seven to 12,000 people to a system that is already overtaxed. And these are folks who, by definition, are going to need more support because they haven't been getting treatment or they've, uh, you know, 
had treatment in the past, but it hasn't worked out for, for whatever reasons, they're going to need more intervention and they're, you know, going to need more staff time. So there's concerns about that. And the bill does not really um, address that specifically. So this is there's a lot of, as you point out, technical policy debates, but this is also a really emotionally charged issue, right? We're talking about people who are mentally ill, often homeless. Um, and I know you watched the debate yesterday in the state Senate where this ultimately passed unanimously, but there was some really heart-wrenching testimony from lawmakers. Can you give us a flavor of what we're talking about, maybe an anecdote um, that you heard that might have moved you? Yeah, I mean, really... Heart, some you know, it was amazing to see how many of the legislatures actually had family members or friends who had untreated uh, mental health uh, diagnoses. And you know, particularly gutting was Senator Cindy Kamlager from Los Angeles. She gave probably the most sort of emotionally heart wrenching testimony. She talked about two stories that really influenced what she called sort of her kind of cautious support of the bill. Uh, first, she talked about um, Fatima um, as sort of a cautionary tale for not making decisions for other people and thinking that you know best. So this was a woman who was living with her abuser um, and, and pimp, who was also this person's caregiver. And there was an opportunity to remove Fatima from this man, but she refused because she would rather be with someone she knows than risk sexual assault and abuse by people she doesn't know. And that's just like really kind of trying to accept the reality that, that, you know, we can't, you know, other people can't always make the best decision for you. And then she talked about David, a close family friend of hers with untreated uh, schizophrenia who committed suicide and um, got very emotional at that point and just really kind of brought home that, you know, the intention of this bill is really to get people who are suffering from severe mental illness, the kinds of treatment and support that they need. Um, you know, and, and, you know, we're going to be talking, you're going to be talking about LA later in the show, but you know, there was a report earlier this year that more than five people experiencing homelessness died each day in Los Angeles during the pandemic. And that it's really, you know, I think, staggering. Yeah, yeah, it's staggering. And uh, I'm wondering, you know, the vote was 38 to nothing in the Senate, uh, you know, an overwhelming support. And yet there's been a lot of debate and controversy and uh, criticism of this whole concept of compelling people into treatment. Why was that, do you think, not reflected in the vote yesterday? Um, well, there's been some recent amendments to the bill that kind of uh, address some of one of the biggest concerns, which was really about housing. Um, so an earlier version of the bill kind of explicitly said that the courts couldn't order housing as part of the uh, care plans, um, mostly because county governments only have so much housing that they own. And so, you know, they don't control all the sort of housing supports that are available. Now the new, you know, the, the legislation as it, as it exists today says that uh, a judge can order other government agencies to provide that housing. Um, so there is some requirement for housing in there that wasn't as clear before, although there was definitely concerns, you know, uh, on the floor yesterday about how that is going to play out. Um, the funding piece that we talked about earlier is a big, another big um, question mark. The May revise uh, didn't include... Uh, kind of included that as a placeholder um, and didn't specify where this ongoing funding is going to come from. 
And then perhaps probably the biggest concern is around equity. You know, there's a lot of concerns that, um, that this is going to, you know, because of the population that it's targeting, people experiencing homelessness uh, who also have severe mental illness, that it's going to disproportionately impact people of color. Um, and that's because, you know, um, people of color, but particularly Black residents, are overrepresented in the state's homeless population and are also disproportionately diagnosed with schizophrenia and other psychotic disorders. Um, and so, you know, because of this threat of conservatorship uh, for folks not participating, there's a fear that more people of color are going to end up going through this care court process. Um, and yeah, yeah Sorry, I, just that, I think it's still up for debate in yeah. the in the assembly. As yeah, forward. I was going to say, so I know you're going to keep following this, Aaron. We will be following your work. I also just want to um, tell our listeners, you wrote a really powerful profile this week of a woman, Shahada Hall, who you ca- called the archetypal candidate of this. I would encourage folks to go check that out on kqed.org. It really, I think, underscores some of the challenges and potential opportunities we're talking about. KQD housing reporter Aaron Baldessari, thank you so much for all your time on this. Thank you. Bye. And before we go to a break, a quick plug for our KQED primary voter guide. You can find information on how to cast your ballot and maybe some information about who you might want to vote for at kqed.org slash voter guide. When we come back, we're going to sit down with KPCC political reporter Frank Stoltz and Loyola Marymount University law professor Jessica Levinson to talk L.A. politics. You're listening to KQED. political breakdown from KQED (laughs) Public Radio. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I am Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer, and today we have two whip-smart analysts here with us. First up, Frank Stoltz of KPCC. He is a longtime criminal justice and political correspondent for the Los Angeles-based NPR station. Frank, welcome to The Breakdown. Thanks for having me. And also here, Jessica Levinson of Loyola Law School. She's a professor of law there and director of its Public Service Institute and Journalist Law School. And she's a former member of the Los Angeles Ethics Commission, which oversees campaign finance. Thanks for being here, Jessica. True enough. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So, Frank, let's start with you. Um, For those, you know, what, not... 60% 60% of us residents who don't live in Los Angeles County um, or the city. What would you say the mood is down there right now as we approach this June primary, politically speaking? Uh, there's a lot of fear and frustration. 
Uh, as you've mentioned earlier in the show, the homelessness crisis in Los Angeles has exploded over the last few years. Uh, probably at least 50,000 people living on the streets now, visible everywhere in almost every neighborhood. Uh, and there's a lot of frustration around that, but also fear around that. A lot of people conflate the homelessness issue uh, with the crime issue, and crime is on the rise. Uh, not because of the homeless, but uh, because crime is on the rise here like it is on the rise everywhere. So, so the mood is, is frustration uh, and uh, people are searching for answers. Uh, and I think uh, many are feeling like the political system, like people are feeling in a lot of places, uh, is not working very well in Los Angeles. And Frank, we're going to get to the candidates themselves shortly, but we know that you know there are other big players, as there always are in these big races, police and real estate interests spending big. But who else? So who's been really involved in stepping up and you know throwing money into the race besides Rick Russo, the candidate himself, who's dropped a lot? Well, you know, a Hollywood mogul Jeffrey Katzenberg has thrown money uh, into the race behind uh, Karen Bass, Congresswoman Karen Bass. Uh, but really, when you talk about money in this race, uh, it is all about uh, billionaire developer Rick Caruso's money. He spent over uh, $20 million, unprecedented, uh, in a mayor's race here uh, on the campaign. And this is just the primary. Uh, and also on the Caruso side, uh, the Police Protective League. Uh, which represents rank and file LAPD officers spent uh, or committed to nearly $4 million to help Caruso get elected. So, you know, the vast majority of the money exponentially more being spent uh, by Caruso and on behalf of Caruso. Interesting. You'd think they he wouldn't need that money. Jessica, before we talk uh, deep more deep about this mayor's race, talk about the outgoing mayor. Eric Garcetti, you know, kind of came in as one of these rising Democratic stars, uh, Rhodes Scholar, he talked about running for president. He helped vet VP Kamala Harris for Joe Biden's campaign. And now he's embroiled in a fight over whether he essentially knew about sexual misconduct by an aide, which is, you know, holding up his uh, appointment as ambassador to India. What do you think sort of his legacy is? is, is how, how? What kind of shadow is that casting on the debate we're seeing right now? Well, I think like anybody, we have to wait a few years, unfortunately, to see what the legacy really is going to be. I mean, his legacy is either going to be that he oversaw this explosion in homelessness and it continued to explode, or that things got better after him, or that he was the one to bring the Olympics to Los Angeles. And look what a boon that was. But I think on a number of different levels, we can't really look back until we can look back. Having said that, I think right now things look shaky for him. As you said, when he came into office, the question was, how long will he stay? Because maybe he's going to be the first mayor in modern history to catapult to the presidency. And it was this endless, will he run to be president? And then will he leave for the cabinet? And then what about this position to be an ambassador to India? And now it's just story after story of why he's not going to India and why this is again on hold. And at this point, I think after years of guessing, he's probably going to end up serving this entire term. And we've had so much talk about, you know, will he stay? How long will he stay? And this is how it ends, kind of with a fizzle. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and Jessica, let's talk about the leading candidates. Uh, Frank, a moment ago, alluded to uh, developer, billionaire developer Rick Caruso, a former Republican turned 
declined to state, turned Democrat. Uh, and then Karen Bass, a very well-known Congress member from Los Angeles, was on the short list for Biden's vice president. Um, t- t- Not how- chosen by Garcetti, apparently. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. How are they distinguishing themselves in this campaign, Jessica? So I think Karen Bass is really distinguishing herself. And of course, these are always too broad, too general, but as the more progressive candidate, as the more left of center center candidate. And she has to be really careful, I think, between making sure that she's keeping that progressive base that is present in L.A. City, but not being, quote unquote, too progressive in an era where, as Frank said, People are scared. People are frustrated. People are worried about rising crime. People are worried about rising homelessness. So I think she has to thread that kind of needle. Rick Caruso, I think more going for the center and then to the extent there is a true right of center in Los Angeles, which there is, you know, the more right of center. He's the more outsider, the business person. And I think in ways that are both subtle and explicit, really positioning himself as the more moderate candidate. I think there are a bunch of self-identified liberals throughout L.A. who maybe don't want to admit it right now, but are looking at the way things are and are saying maybe we want to go back to a more Dick Reardon type of mayor. And that would be Rick Caruso, the outsider business person. What does that mean, a more, more Dick Reardon type mayor? So I think it means more somebody who hasn't served in public office their entire life, who isn't as tied to, of course, not in L.A. City, but isn't as tied to the incumbents and who is you know, claiming, I think this is the narrative, I'm the outsider who can clean up this fiscal mess. Now, we all know, of course, that well, yeah. the mayor and less. <laughs> <the mayor laughs> Heard that one before. Right. And from other billionaires. Before. It's almost like we've lived through this at the national and statewide level. <laughs> uh, I mean, this it, it's a familiar refrain for a reason. I mean, of course, we're talking about this and the mayor is an important position, but there's only so much the mayor in L.A. can do. It's not a, quote unquote, strong mayor city. You have appointment power. You have power over the budget. You have the bully pulpit. But outside of that, it's not like you can wave a magic wand. Well, and that's just probably why you see a lot of money being spent in city council races as well. But Frank Stoltz, coming back to you, I mean, polls have showed, I guess we should say this was a much larger field. A lot of folks have dropped out, uh, thrown their endorsement behind either Caruso or Bass. Um, But a lot of polls, I think, over the last month or two have consistently showed that Caruso and Bass are within a point or two of each other. And You know, some of that polling started before the draft leak of the Roe decision from the Supreme Court, before the last two horrific school shootings, which has really raised gun violence uh, to center stage again. How much do you think that that all could kind of, you know, scramble this race, given your point that a lot of the things that Rick Caruso is really running on are these public safety concerns that may be in front of mind in November and may not? Sure. The only public poll we know about it, uh, found that 40 percent uh, of likely voters were still undecided. That was four weeks ago. They may have decided since uh, they have been flooded with Rick Caruso ads. Right. Uh, as I mentioned, his spending is very high. He's bought to uh, just learned 24 points, uh, 2400 points in TV advertising every week. That means 24 impressions every week people are getting on TV, average TV viewer. 
I, I'm going to take issue a little bit uh, with Jessica here. I'm not sure he's fashioning himself as, as as the moderate candidate. I'm not sure they use moderate or or middle of the road candidate. Uh, I, I think it breaks down this way. Caruso has pledged to hire 1,500 more police officers and uh, to uh, tackle homelessness essentially by eliminating red tape for building, for building permanent housing, for building uh, uh, temporary shelters. Bass sees a much less lesser role for police. Uh, she says she wants to bring the force up to the police force up to full strength, which would be 9,700. Caruso wants more like 11, uh, 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 9,500 versus 11,500. Um, and, and Bass talks about working with county social services. So these are two very different approaches, more police, about the same number of police and lesser role, uh, and then uh, eliminating bureaucracy versus working with county uh, government and social services, which is, are really the ones that provide most of the services for housing. And, so, yeah. No, I was going to say, uh, and Frank, I'll put it back to you. To what extent does Bass need to come up with a you know, solution or a, a, a plan for public safety and homelessness um, that, you know, appeals to the middle, you know? Sure, it's, that resonates. Yeah. Because it's easy. I mean, it's easy to say, let's hire 1,500 more police officers because it's a simple answer. Uh, Bass says it's a much more complicated answer in terms of lowering the crime rate, which, again, we're seeing across the country. Uh, you know, uh, one of the interesting things here is how uh, our district attorney, George Gascone, is a bit of, you know, a bit of a litmus test for candidates now in Los Angeles. Uh, Rick Caruso has endorsed his recall. Uh, Rick, uh, uh, Gascone, of course, the progressive DA who is uh, rolling back uh, sentences that he seeks for criminal defendants. Uh, Bass opposes that recall effort uh, against uh, Gascone, which, of course, I know is a recall effort echoed up in San Francisco. So, Jessica, you, you know, alluded to Reardon. He was, I think, L.A.'s last Republican mayor. Um, you have someone in Caruso who made a lot of money developing very recognizable landmarks like the Grove Shopping Mall. Um, and it was a Republican, as Scott mentioned. Do, do you think people care about that? Like how much of his both business history and political background, including, you know, being called out by Bass for giving like, I think, 50 grand to a PAC supporting Kevin McCarthy just a few years ago. Do, do voters care, do you think? I think they care about that donation in part because of what you said in the beginning, which is that poll was before the Dobbs leak, before mm -hmm. the leak of the abortion decision, which I think hurt Rick Caruso because while the mayor of Los Angeles doesn't have direct control, obviously, over whether or not abortion will be legal in this city, in the state, on the federal level, I do think for a lot of people, this issue has come to the fore, maybe even more than ever. And for a lot of Angelinos, the idea that Rick Caruso did give money to Republican candidates and Republican causes, I think that was the one moment where you saw this kind of endless steam of momentum pause for a minute because he was able to absolutely blanket the airwaves. You know, in terms of his personal wealth, I frankly tend to think that people care more about what Frank and I have been talking about, which is it's really at the forefront of people's minds, their safety. Mm -hmm. What, you know, are they safe in their home, right outside their home? I'm yeah. sorry, Scott. No, ahead. I was just going to say, we actually wanted to pivot because there's another safety related position on the ballot that we wanted to talk about, which is the LA Sheriff, Alex Villanueva, who ran four years ago as a progressive reformer. He was a Democrat. You know, Democrats were excited because I think it's been decades, if not a century, since a Democrat won that seat. 
Frank Stoltz, how has that worked out? <laughs> well, uh, th- this is a this is a sheriff who, when he first got elected, tried to rehire uh, a deputy who had been fired over allegations of uh, domestic violence uh, and lying to investigators about it. Uh, this was a deputy who had been a campaign aide uh, to the sheriff, and he wanted to bring him back. Uh, and uh, many, including the Board of Supervisors, saw it as cronyism, uh, as an indicator that he was willing to put up with misconduct uh, by deputies and fought him on it and beat him back. And he was not able to hire that that deputy, but it set the tone for the entire the last three, four years. He's been unable to get along uh, with just about every uh, other leader in town, uh, portraying just about all of them as what he calls the part of the woke political establishment. Uh, he claims that his department's been defunded. It has not. Um, so he uh, portrayed himself as a reformer when he came in. He hasn't really been one. Uh, he's faces, faced allegations of corruption, which he denies. Uh, so he is a bit of a Trump-like figure in the, in the sense that uh, he uh, you know, has portrayed the rest of the system as a political swamp, uh, where he only he's the only one who has the answers. And then I'll just add very quickly about this sheriff running for a second term. Uh, you know, he's 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 conducted these raids uh, on homeless camps uh, in areas controlled by the LAPD, uh, but some call it grandstanding in places like Venice Beach. So he's he's played that issue very well. People are seeing him as oh, he's a man of action. He's addressing you know the one crisis that we we all are worried about in Los Angeles. Yeah. Just like 30 seconds or a minute left, Jessica Levinson. But I'm curious, a lot of this feels like deja vu all over again. You know, talking more tough on crime, outsiders. Like, are we in a moment of political backlash to the last 20 years of California progressive politics? Uh, So... I'm going to give you that unsatisfying answer, which is let's wait until after the election. (laughs) Only time will tell. (laughs) We know that it's a pendulum on so many issues. I think criminal justice, it's a lot more nuanced than just we're swinging up and back. But there is something to that. Absolutely. All right. We have to leave it there. Frank Stoltz, KPCC's longtime correspondent for Los Angeles politics, criminal justice, all the above. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. And Jessica Levison of Loyola Marymount. Thank you so much for your insights, Jessica. Thank you. That is going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Don't forget, the election is less than two weeks away. Vote. You can check out our voter guide. That's at kqed.org slash voter guide. And uh, don't forget to vote. Don't again. forget to vote. Yes, yes, for sure. Our producer is Guy Marzarotti, who had a lot to do with that voter guide, by the way. Our engineer, Katie McMurray. And I'm Scott Schaefer. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. I'm Marisa Lagos. You can always find me on Twitter at MLagos. Have a good one. Stay Bye. safe. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. 
This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Thanks.